The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. And today we are recording a special emergency podcast to talk about the election results, where we stand today in the United States of America, and a little bit about how the tech platforms have handled it. Joining us today is Noah Shackman, the editor-in-chief of The Daily Beast. Welcome to the show, Noah. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. How are you feeling? How's the last 24 hours been for you? Oh, it's mellow. It's totally mellow. <laughs> I had a good night's sleep, uh, got a facial, um, took a nice jog. It was great. Good stuff. What's it like managing a newsroom on a an actual night like this one? Yeah. I mean, like, luckily, we've got a newsroom where everybody's really, you know, everybody's a baller. Everybody's mission focused. And so, you know... Uh, People people are excited to dive into the news, and, and and so it's great to see. You don't have to encourage people; really, you just gotta kind of unleash them. But look, I think that's um, right. But but look, um, you know, when you see results that are that are confusing or stressful or what have you, you know, I think it's important to to buck people up and remind them of their mission and why they got into mm-hmm. this um, business in the first place, which is to tell the unvarnished truth, no matter what. And, and to really um, and, and, and to find out as much as you can and then lay it out for people. And so I think, you know, for those of us in the in the news business, that that mission is more important than ever. Totally. And I hope we can do some of that over the course of the next you know 28 minutes or so as the time we have uh, here today to talk. I want to introduce you to the audience a little bit to begin with. Um, you have a very interesting background. So. Uh, you actually worked in politics before going into media. You were on the Clinton campaign in 1992. So can you tell us a little bit about what you did there? Sure. I was a 20, 21-year-old kid at Georgetown University when when Bill Clinton announced his presidential run uh, there. And um, I kind of wasn't as taken with him at first, but then he came back for a series of speeches and I got more and more um, into what he was saying enough so that I, um, dropped out of Georgetown and, and, uh, and went to go work on his campaign, um, for a while. And then after that, uh, worked at the uh, democratic national committee for about a year. Um, but, um, look, you know, Mm -hmm. politics is a, uh, fucking dirty game, uh, played by professional (laughs) liars. And, um, and honestly, just after a while, I, I, I couldn't deal with it anymore. Um, but uh, I had at the time uh, um, started to um, <laughs> mess around with uh, some of our chats on on CompuServe and Prodigy uh, in the early '90s, and uh, and I had convinced this uh, this guy named Bob Newman, who who ran a like one or two person PR shop, to sort of bring me on board to to run uh, to to start publicizing clients on, uh, on AOL and, and prodigy and CompuServe. And, uh, he was sort of like, yeah, yeah, whatever kid, this will never work. Um, uh, but it kind of did. And, and so, um, I sort of pivoted from, um, 
from uh, from politics to technology uh, there. And uh, that kind of eventually led me to a gig. It's kind of confusing, but uh, editing uh, some of the first um, internet business books at a uh, at a publisher called Van Nosten Reinhold. Uh, and, um, when that publisher got bought up, um, I had no idea what the hell I was going to do with myself. And so, uh, I started freelancing for some of the like, um, dot-com era business magazines, um, about internet business and also a little bit for wired.com. Right. And, and it feels like the, the daily beast sort of is a combination of those two interests, right? It is. Very political, but it's also deeply steeped in the online communities out there. Is that the right way to describe the publication? Sure, I think that's true. And then the other thing I was going to say is, you know, throughout this whole time, um, I was living about half the time in a van and and playing rock and roll. And and, and so I'd like to oh think God. the Beast has yeah. like a has a rock and roll uh, element to it too. Um, and, and and you know, we like to combine kind of like you know, really geeking out on our subjects and really, you know, as you said, getting steeped in online communities, uh, while totally nerding out, um, on politics and, you know, having fun and, and presenting, um, the information in a way that's like, uh, you know, oops. Uh, yeah. That's like grokkable for normal people. And, and so that's what we try to do. Great. So let's nerd out a little bit about the results. So, it's close. I mean, yeah. what do you think? What are you looking at right now? Yeah. So look, it's one uh, eleven uh, East Coast time on on Wednesday when we're taping this. Um, you know, at the moment, if you were a poker player, you'd rather have Joe Biden's hand than than Donald Trump's hand for sure. He seems to have more outs. You know, it seems like um, you know this these upper Midwest states. And Pennsylvania, um, you know, have enough uh, ballots out there from urban areas that that are going to break Joe Biden's way. But honestly, who the fuck knows? Because, um, you know, the last five years of politics has been so, um, you know, so crazy and so um, topsy turvy that that there's always a chance, a large chance that things, you know, invert. Yeah, and certainty to me seems like the worst policy in politics right now, uh, especially because this could end up going to the court. But we can talk a little bit about the closeness. I mean, what do you make of the fact that we're living in the middle of the coronavirus? Uh, everyone's lives seem to be disrupted. The economy isn't going in any certain direction. And yet Trump has kept it as close as he has. Yeah, well, I thought uh, Kevin Roos from The Times had a really good point uh, either last night or this morning, which is is just, you know, uh, I think that uh, pollsters uh, sort of overestimated uh, people's uh, stated, you know, preferences and underestimated their their actual displayed habits, which is to click uh, on Trumpist after Trumpist, uh, you know, news article uh, on Facebook. And I think that we're also a little bit. I think that um, people uh, in the professional political class have really kind of underestimated how, you know, for normal Americans, Facebook is like one of their biggest, if not their biggest information source. And it is dominated by these um, sort of pro-Trump pages. And so for if you're, you know, 
in kind of uh, you know red state or purple state America, the chances that that you're getting a lot of your news from from really pro Trump places is very high. And so I think I, I think that's a major factor. Okay, I was gonna leave some of the questions about the tech side of this to the end, but let's just get into it because I feel like this is important. So, yeah. um, what do you? So first of all, uh, how do you, what what sort of uh, importance do you give to the tech platforms influencing people's uh, hearts and minds versus the cable networks? Because we do see right now something important that's happening is Fox News is not going along with you know some of the tweets the president is putting out. Uh, saying that the election is won already and that the Democrats are trying to steal it. So yeah. um, just in terms of the way, and that's that's sort of an important bulwark. So like just in terms of the way that that social shapes people's hearts and minds, do you give it a higher emphasis than cable news? I mean, how should we think about it? I, I certainly think it's as high at the very least. Look, I've been saying for about a year that if Trump was going to win this thing or even make it close, it was because of the heroic efforts of Rupert Murdoch and Mark Zuckerberg. And, and I and I continue to believe that. I mean, I think you've just got to look at how um, of the kind of behaviors that that Facebook has has valued. And, the, uh, and, and you look at some of the reporting about, um, you know, kind of dialing down, quote unquote, liberal news and dialing up, quote unquote, conservative news. Um, and you can see that for a lot of people whose whose main uh, information source is Facebook, you know, they're getting, you know, essentially unfiltered, pro-Trump, hardcore um, agitprop. And um, it, and it's not as if Facebook, although Facebook will quibble uh, over the numbers somewhat, uh, it's not as if they were unaware of this. Um, they were very aware of it. And this is the direction they chose to go in. Right. But I, I wonder, like, you know, we like to blame the media and the medium a lot, but doesn't some of this fall on the Democratic Party itself? Uh, Fuck yes. You know, isn't there some some messaging issue? So let's talk about that and we'll come back to the tech stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's absolutely uh, an issue. Look, if we're going <laughs> to, you know, barely eking out a win over somebody who's overseen the deaths of a quarter million Americans is not good, you know? And honestly, uh, and I've been fighting sometimes with my own uh, reporters about this, but I've been really struck by how little of a message Joe Biden had beyond, you know, Donald Trump's a dickwad, which he is. I mean, Donald Trump has been a disaster of a president. Um, but, you know, I, I've been really struck by how little of a, a of a compelling alternative uh uh, Biden offered. Um, and, and I think that they've got huge messaging issues, um, um, uh, you know, with, with, with a huge chunk of America and even, even if Biden wins, they're going to have to take major steps to fix that. How do they solve it? It's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm out of the politics game. I'm, I'm in the reporting game. So, you know, well, okay. Well, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, but I mean, all I can say is that I think that merely being uh, anti is not going to is not going to get it done, and, and and they've got to be really you know for something, not just um, against Donald Trump. And and um, so anyway, uh, like I said, I'm not I'm not really like you know uh, Mr. Political Strategist, and I can say. But I can't, but uh, I do know something about the news business. And I think one thing that's really important is to actually um, 
you, you know, not get too caught up in these kind of like intra-Washington political stories or, or stories that only resonate, you know, resonate on, um, you know, in the Acela Corridor or, or um, you know, or in the Bay Area. You know, we've really got to make sure that we're, we're um, telling stories um, that take place in the whole country. Um, one way we've tried to do that at the Daily Beast is to really tell the coronavirus story, you know, city by city, um, uh, state by state, and really focus in on on, on the dozen different uh, local responses uh, to coronavirus rather than just focusing on what's going on in the White House. Um, you know, we've also got an interest in some topics that that frankly, some of the other political focused media just think are beneath them, I think, which is, you know, we love um, good stories about um, uh, about true crime and about, you know, cops and robbers. And, and we love great pop culture stories. And, um, you know, we, we're trying to reach an audience on a bunch of different levels, not just on the political level. And, um I don't know. I, th I think that's really important to keep doing. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about the message because um, it does seem to me, and there's definitely been some talk floating around Twitter today about how, you know, this could potentially be an indictment on some of the farther left side of the Democrats. Um, you know, when you were working on the Clinton campaign, the message was uh, it's the economy, stupid. The message for the Biden campaign is fight for the soul of our country. And a lot of that has been manifested in talking about how, like, you know, Trump is a jerk and he's a white supremacist. And I just wonder, I mean, you look at the results and the Democrats, uh, what Trump, Trump has won the highest share of uh, non-white support of Republicans in decades. So is there a limit to that sort of uh, resistance style messaging for the Democrats? Yeah, I, I definitely think, um, I, look, I don't think that the Democrats did a good enough job tying what was actually going on with the coronavirus to Trump's response, right? I think that was in some ways, it, you know, if I'm thinking about it, that's kind of the major failure. And I think for a lot of people, um, coronavirus felt like an act of God, like a like a hurricane um, or, or, or like a, a tsunami, and that, you know, government was just as powerless to to stop the virus as it was to stop a, a hurricane or a tsunami. But of course, we know that's not the case, right? We know that, um, you know, that had really certain basic public health measures been put in place um, earlier and in a more sustained fashion that, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of more people would, would still be alive. And, and I don't feel like... Um, I don't feel like the Democrats ever quite tied those two things together. And then I don't feel like they, while they said, Hey, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to, we're going to be competent. I never felt like I got a great answer at a, at a team Biden, um, for what they were going to do differently, like other than just follow the science, which is, you know, a solid foundation, but I don't feel like they laid out like an ABC one, two, three kind of plan. Um, so I don't know. I feel like that's what that that was a message failure there. Right. But if you take the coronavirus out of it, I mean, they would have had I mean, it looks like they would have had the floor wiped with them. 
So the question is, is when it comes to the future of the Democratic Party, I know you're not a political strategist, but I also wonder is is the thing that comes front and center, is it the uh, economy or is it the sort of, um, you know, more more further left anti-racist type of message? Um, you know, I don't know that those things are necessarily intention in the way that, that you put it. Um, you know, I feel like um, that's a bit of a, like, I, I feel like, um, you know, there, there, you can, you can push a, a message of justice. That's, that's not like either economic or, um, or, or, or racial. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. It, I'm I'm not quite sure it's an e- either or there. Um, but what I do think is, you know, you got to like, you got you got to speak to people on their level. You got to like address people, um, you know, eye to eye, and um, it, and no matter what message you deliver. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, we'll, we'll see how these results play out. But it's certainly still a question, and I definitely think there's probably going to be some form of. Uh, discussion with the Democrats in terms of what the the soul of the party looks like, because right now it, it seems unclear. Oh, for sure, it's going to be yeah, like it's going to be really, really, really intense uh, between the sort of left wing and centrist wings of the party. And look, uh, and I think you know Nancy Pelosi is going to come under some fire too, right? You know, she had a deal on the table uh, basically for more uh, stimulus, you know, in the face of coronavirus, and and you know turned it down. Uh, you know, assuming that, 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 um, you know, she was going to get a democratic Senate and, and a democratic white house. Now that's very much in question. And that puts a lot of people's livelihoods in question. And, and so she's going to come under a lot of fire for that. But listen, I, I just want to say this too. I mean, I think one of the reasons though, I think, I think the, um, the medium and, uh, the message things do go hand in hand. And, you know, for a lot of people they're now living in a in a closed information ecosystem um whether it's you know they're only watching fox uh or they're only watching msnbc or you know they're only getting their news from um you know from uh, their favorite people on twitter or they're only getting their news you know from these trumpy types on facebook and um and and i i i think that that is one of the main reasons why it is hard for any message to penetrate these days, even the best of them. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about that and the tech platforms themselves uh, when we come after when we come back from this break. So why don't we do that? Um, stay right here. We'll be right back with Noah Shackman, the editor in chief of the Daily Beast, here on the Big Technology Podcast. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. 
So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back for our second segment here on an emergency edition of the Big Technology Podcast. Joining us is Noah Shackman, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Beast. We've talked a little bit about the results and sort of figuring out what they mean, uh, you know, as they come in and what it's going to mean for the future of the Democratic Party. Obviously, the Republican Party is going to have some reckoning to do on its own, but the Trump coalition seems to have held up decently. So maybe less of a transformation there, although if he loses, it could it could definitely lead to some soul searching. But why don't we talk a little bit about the platforms? Uh, so as we speak, uh, Twitter's putting like every Trump tweet under a label. Um, there's one that I was looking at. They are working hard it's from Trump. They are working hard to make uh, make up 500,000 vote advantage in Pennsylvania disappear. ASAP, likewise, in Michigan and others. Twitter has uh, put that under a label saying that it might be misleading in terms of what's going on with the election. Uh, Facebook's also done some labeling. This is what they told us they would do. Uh, I personally think that, or I tweeted that the um, the platforms have done a pretty good job over the past 24 hours. Uh, somewhat controversial statement. I'm kind of curious what you make of that, Noah. Do you think they're doing a good job here? So I think they're doing um, a good job on a couple of different fronts. Uh, front number one, they've been much more aggressive on foreign interference uh, than they were four years ago. And uh, I think uh, Twitter and Facebook especially uh, deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, secondly, I think they, um, they've they done um, a good job, but a late job um, in, um, in going after some of the more violent um, domestic extremist groups like QAnon. Um, you know, I thought the steps that they took on QAnon were, were, um, were really needed. Uh, if a half step behind. And I think they, they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, I think um, they, uh, I think the labeling stuff, um, I think it, I, I'd be curious how effective some of it is, I guess is, is my question. Um, I'm like, I'm in favor of it in theory, but I'd, I'd like to know what the practical effect is. Um, and then, you, you know, you haven't mentioned it, but I think one thing we ought to get into real quick was Twitter's um, actions around uh, the New York Post and um, and their Hunter Biden story. Mm-hmm. And and I thought there, I I, I thought Twitter really kind of overreacted. Um, it's not that the Hunter Biden story was was legit. Um, you know, I think the Daily Beast uh, kind of led the way in in debunking a lot of uh, of that. Um, New York Post article and others that were were hyping this stuff up, but um, I thought they just I I, I, th- 
I, I really think they they kind of like tried going after a fly with a howitzer on that one. And I, I think it wound up making them look bad and 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 sowing some uh, a little bit of distrust. And so I thought that they they kind of used the nuclear option there when a when a when a um, you know more tactical weapon would have uh, been called for. Yeah, no doubt. I, I've thought that the social media companies are doing whatever they can to avoid a repeat of 2016. To me, that seems to be just the operating principle of these companies. And this election is like, let's not do 2016 again uh, in terms of like all the platform manipulation that went on. So they were on alert that the FBI, you know, from the FBI, I believe that there might have been a hack and leak operation uh, conducted by some foreign entity. It's still kind of up in the air about whether that happened and then just quickly hit the button saying we're not going to get blamed you know, for being manipulated by a foreign entity this year. I mean, the same thing with the, with these labels. No, I think that's absolutely right. I think there, uh, there was a lot of talk um, in law enforcement, national security, and, um, and, and technology circles to be on high alert for a, a hack and leak operation that, that it was, you know, that one was coming. Um, you know, I can say that for a fact that there are those discussions going on. And I can also tell you that, um, you know, look, Rudy Giuliani in particular was looked at as a vector for, um, foreign, uh, misinformation, uh, you know, his sort of, uh, partner in propaganda, this guy, Andre Durkac was labeled by the Trump administration to be an active, uh, Russian agent. That's a, that's a verbatim quote. And Steve Bannon was also mixed up in this, and he's looked on as a vector of, um, at the very least, overseas disinformation. He's got this um, this uh, Chinese billionaire who who you know pushes a lot of disinformation and is kind of bankrolling Bannon's operation. Bankrolled a lot of Bannon's uh, misinformation about the virus. So yeah, I agree. I think they were on a hair trigger, high alert, wanted to avoid any 2016 repeat, and so they overreacted. Yeah. I, and I personally think, you know, we talked about the labels, too. Um, I kind of think they're effective. Like they do take a little bit of the steam out of the Trump tweet that says, you know, we won or, um, you know, the Democrats are stealing votes. You you look at that and it just kind of it seems different. I don't know. It seems like uh, you you put less credibility into it. Here's a question for you. Um, I mean, I'd be curious what you think. If Trump loses, how long will he have his Twitter account for? Great question. I mean, this it's all going to depend on what happens over the next couple of weeks, right? Because we're in phase one of this right now, which is he's starting to discredit the result. What happens in phase two? You know, one of the worries I have about social media is it creates this otherism, right? You start to see people as an other, it dehumanizes them and you can't see them as another person. And so now what happens if Trump says the election was stolen by the Democrats and starts to call his supporters into the streets. You know, we hinted at political violence yesterday, but do we end up seeing that happen now? And that's really the the worry for me. I kind of think that that's going to be the big story now is, you know, if Trump loses, how does he react to this loss and, and what happens? I mean, what do you, I mean, so that's sort of my, so I feel like if he calls people out onto the street and asks for violence, asks for, uh, tries to get them to to be violent and has already lost the election, then Twitter might take that account away. But it would have to be such an extreme event for that to happen. What's your perspective? My perspective is um, they were rightly reluctant to take away the account of President Donald Trump. Private citizen Donald Trump, 
I don't know. That's a really different thing. If he like loses and actually is out of office, you know, and it's March of next year and he's, you know, spreading, you know, either inciting violence, spreading bullshit, what have you. I I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure if he's out of office, there's going to be a lot of pressure um, within the platforms to, to boot him off. Right. Well, the standard is imminent harm. Like if you're causing something that's going to, you know, put someone in imminent danger, then you're not allowed to use it, uh, not allowed to say it on the, on the platforms. That's why when the coronavirus hit, uh, people that were sharing misinformation about the virus got their accounts either suspended or got the post taken down. And you're right. When he does become a private citizen, it sort of becomes a little bit less easy for the platforms to justify it as newsworthiness. But it would, re- I mean, it really sort of depends on him, right? Like, if if this is going to get to a place where we're going to see violence incited, or we're going to, you know, it'll be winks to people to get out on the street, you know, stand back and stand by. Proud Boys, what does he say to the Proud Boys now? Then I think we get into that situation. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen there? By the way, I'm kind of curious what your perspective is. You know, do. do <laughs> If Biden ends up taking this thing, are we going to end up seeing, you know, social media being used to stoke? I mean, I'm obviously we'll see big protests out one way or the other. But are we at risk of political violence here? Yes. Can you say a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, we've had a um we've had a uh right wing, uh far right wing, not you know, normal conservatives, but we've had a far right wing in this country that's been, um, increasingly radicalized and has been, uh, and, you know, we've seen that, that far right actors who commit, you know, you know, who, who murder people, uh, are, are celebrated, um, in the, um, you know, in the sort of broader Trumpist, uh, community. And look, you know, uh, (laughs) one thing we didn't talk about, about, uh, my background is um, for a while I was a national security and and, and conflict reporter, and, and I'm reminded um, uh, by um, you know the years I, I covered insurgencies and counterinsurgencies, which is that it doesn't take that many violent-minded people to really um, you know spark a wildfire. It just takes the consent of a lot of people around them, and you know, I really worry that, you know, you can have, uh, you know, a handful of wackos and a big community of people kind of egging them on or tacitly accepting what they do. And it could be really bad. Um, and look, I think that's, that is, I'm sure I'll get some hate tweets on this too, but you know, I think there's, there's some part Mm -hmm. of the left too, that of the far left that has decided that, that, um, that political violence is okay too. Um, and, and, and at the very, and while they haven't, you know, done the kind of, um, harm to, you know, well, I mean, it's just, look, I, I just think it's a, it's a bad precedent on it and it's a bad situation on both sides. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm concerned about it. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I, I really, I really hope, you know, things go smoothly. I really hope so. Yeah. So, and that's sort of when I come down and do a fa- final calculus of the way that the social media companies performed over election day slash week, you know, it's one thing to put these labels, which I think are helpful. Uh, but, I, and I'm also sort of of the belief that we should be pretty hands-off 
you know, as, as hands off as possible with political content, you know, echoing some of the stuff that you think about the New York Post story. But, you know, what what cost do we pay in terms of the fact that this um, sense of the other person uh, is a totally different, uh, you know, sort of dehumanized because of the fact that they get painted that way? And these echo chambers created on social media and what kind of cost do we end up paying for the fact that social media has helped foster that? And yeah. it's very difficult to evaluate and say, okay, you did a good job, Facebook, Twitter, and Google, when that sort of stuff still hangs in the balance. That's a great point. That's a really great point. Okay, so we have, we're have we just about out of time. What's your guess on what happens from here? Speculate a little bit. Yeah, so look, I, I mean... Fuck, I hate speculating. I'd rather report. <laughs> but like, you know, it looks like we won't hold you to it, but like you have, yeah, you watch this stuff. So yeah. Look, it looks like Biden's in a little bit better shape um electorally. Um, there's obviously gonna be um tons of lawsuits uh around it. Um right now those legal challenges don't look um particularly potent, but you know, all it takes is is um you know, a couple of Trumpy judges and, and we could be into something really freaking crazy. I, I think the other thing to keep an eye out for, um, is, um, sure seems like the post office didn't deliver a lot of absentee ballots. I think that's going to be, you know, that has the potential right. to be that, really, that's, that's, yeah, that's disputed. I think that there's conflicting uh, reports on that part. Yeah. But I think that's, I think there's more information on that, like coming out, like, as we're talking. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, you know, right. I think that's going to be, um, really big. And then, you know, I, I, my guess is we'll see, you know, as you said, protests, no matter what I, and I, and I hope, you know, they, that's all it say it stays as is just protests. Um, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm I am, hoping for a uh only slightly insane resolution to this but you know it's 2020 man so so um uh preparing for the truly insane yeah so preparing for the truly insane is probably the best um is the best approach yeah and and i know that we're we're really early in this process but i'm kind of hopeful from what i've seen so far it seems like the voting is going as normal seems like Fox News isn't going along with anything that's sort of out of bounds from what we've seen in the past, which is super important. I mean, we don't have a, a decision yet, but the streets have been fairly quiet, which I think is a good sign. So I'm hopeful, but fingers crossed. It's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks ahead. Yeah, that's the understatement of the year, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're prone to them here. All right. No, no, Shackman from the Daily Beast. Thank you so much for joining us here on this emergency edition of the Big Technology Podcast. If you are a longtime listener, it would be great if you could rate us uh, on your app of choice. Uh, and if this is your first time here, uh, please subscribe. We do a new edition every Wednesday. I want to thank the folks at Red Circle for helping host and sell ads on the podcast. And Nate Guatney, our terrific editor, for making sure it sounds good in a limited amount of time today. Thank you all for listening. We will see you again next Wednesday.